Now, get ready to spend the next two hours with our three sports-loving ladies, Lauren Brooks, Taylor Dahl, and Mia O'Brien. This is Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Well, well, well. We had nine Victory Tuesdays. But unfortunately, eight non-Victory Tuesdays, and that is what today is. As well, the Jaguars, as everyone knows, lost to the Titans 28-20. to There's absolutely nothing good I can say about the loss. It was frustrating in every way. And I think, Mia, Jaguars fans went into that game so confident with the win and in situation against that team, that it made it even more of a debacle. Yeah, and in speaking with some of the Nashville media in the press box before the game kicked off, you know, they stressed that they could see any sort of storyline, like any this game playing out in any way you possibly could. And they admitted readily that this is not a good Titans team. However, the swan song of Derrick Henry what could be improved to be the finale for Mike Vrabel and most likely Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee as well, would that overpower? And it did. I'm not so sure it was powered solely by that. I think the Jaguars, once again, as they have many a times over the last six weeks, shot themselves in the foot one too many times. Uh, I forget who said it, but it was so eloquent. Like When you think Titans over the last seven years, you think Derrick Henry. Mm -hmm. That's assignment number one. You couldn't stop and couldn't check off assignment number one. So do you really deserve to win the ball game if you can't stop him? And he has 141 yards on his first 11 carries by the first, what, minute mark of the third quarter. Yeah, Taylor, it was one of those days that I think at halftime, if you'd followed along with the Jaguars' pretty much narrative all season, if they weren't leading at halftime, they weren't winning the football game. Yeah. And so while they had chances, certainly, it, there was a bad omen, I feel like, uh, when it did go to the 15-minute halftime. Yeah, and I think it's the same story we talked about all season when it comes to turning the ball over too many times, too many penalties in situations when you shouldn't have them, too many missed tackles in situations when you should be tackling. And all of those things all season have added up. And we talked a lot earlier in the season about how they were able to get away from some of those because other, you know, the defense was getting takeaways too, and it was kind of washing out the, uh, the offense's mistakes. Um, but that caught up, and it caught up a lot towards the end of the year in general with those four losses. You thought you you kind of had a little hope that the Panthers game was a turnaround, but we all kept reiterating how bad the Panthers were, and I think that was something that we should have even put more on, that it was such a bad team. Let's Let's hope that they can do it again and not just say, okay, it's fixed, because obviously it wasn't. And when you watched uh, when you were watching Sunday, it was just it felt like, that the same team of that four-game losing streak, that it was the same mistakes over and over again, and a lot of it comes down to it was the same players making some of these mistakes. Some of it comes back to the coaching, and that's why, which I know we'll address later, why we have now seen some firings because it does go back. It, it starts at the top, and there was a lot of mistakes that were never fixed throughout the season, and it caught up with them in, in this last week. We talked, I hosted the kickoff show on Sunday, and as much as we were like, hey, this team's bad, the Titans aren't very good, they have a ton of injuries. Their roster is very depleted. But Tommy Max and I sat here for a whole segment and named the players they still have that ha- that can play pretty good football. And you're like, we can't erase that. They're still good players on the team, and it showed this weekend. Well, the crazy part is they're well coached, and yeah. yet the Titans like lost their coach. coach today. That yeah. that to me is the the strangest part of all of it. But that's up to Nashville's ownership. Certainly not 
around here, but like you mentioned, Mike Caldwell, along with other assistants on the defensive side, were let go last night. And when that news came across the wire, Mia, I was at dinner with friends and they were asking me, you know, isn't that a surprise? I thought it was more the offense that had the issues. And I was like, well, really both sides of the ball had issues, but we know that Doug Peterson has already defended Press Taylor multiple times. So it didn't surprise me that it was the other side of the ball that uh, certainly changes were made. Yes. Um, Knowing what I did know about the situation, knowing what I've learned in the last 24 hours, um, this was a matter of Doug Peterson stepping in and stopping things before it devolved into further chaos. Um, And that's not to say that, you know, it was chaotic and it was an Urban Meyer-led regime on the defensive side of the ball. No, no. If anything, it was more of a laissez-faire. And Doug is saying, no, I need more hands-on coaching. I need more diligent preparation from my players and my coaches. That is what this move is suggesting. And if you were to get rid of one, you had to get rid of all. And I think, and I said this on XL Primetime too, I believe, in my opinion, this is a move for Doug to essentially make – he's going to go out and hire a veteran defense coordinator. I have no doubt about that. If he hires a first-time defense coordinator again, I am shocked. Um, He's going to go hire – He won't be alone in the shop. Yes. Um, He'll hire a veteran defense coordinator, potentially who had previous head coaching experience. The defense will operate as its own little silo. Doug, for all this talk of he wanted to be more involved in various operations and less on the offensive side, and that's part of why he handed the play calling to press, he will go back to – while still keeping an eye on the defense, but not quite as keen, he will go back to overseeing and babysitting the offense. And I think what will be curious on that side of the ball is how much of the play design is changed because Doug has more influence, and it's not, which to my knowledge was kind of the case last year. Doug said to Press and Trevor, okay, go pick out the things you like, and you two design the offense, and then I'll approve this, this, and this. This year, I believe Doug will because, you know, Coach Campo said it on primetime. Like, if you're going to fire a whole side of the ball, that means you know that your job is on the line if things Mm -hmm. don't get fixed. And so that's why I think Doug will step in. He'll recognize offense is where his strengths are, and he will go once again head first into that while hiring someone who he trusts on the defensive side of the ball. Here's my question with that, then. Why did it take so long? Because there's no way that one game had Doug deciding that he wanted to fire a whole defensive staff. It just doesn't work like that. So at some point during the season, he had to have seen it wasn't – they weren't doing the things he wanted to do. Things weren't improving. Actually, since the bye week, things drastically got worse Mm -hmm. on both sides of the ball, but defensively especially, I think just because they were playing so well in the first half. But you look at other teams that – the Bills, for example, when they fired they fired Ken Dorsey, they were five and five, six and one since firing him. And when you see moves like that being made around the league, you have to make that decision too earlier when you have a team who was supposed to be making a run into the playoffs and you wait until after you fail miserably to the Titans. Right. And I think because the success was w- wins mask everything. Mm-hmm. Wins cover up everything. They were eight and three starting in December, and that's when the wheels fell off. That's when the takeaways couldn't really buoy. I guess that's that's the right word. Um, like, yeah, be buoyant, like, you know, like overshadow yeah. the mistakes that were being made. Um, and, again, and I, I said, you know, we played it on primetime, or I read it out loud because we didn't have the audio. Um, like, the most telling note from Doug, in my opinion, was when he was asked about Josh Allen saying that last year in December, they kind of just rode this wave of emotion 
both in how they practiced and how they scouted and how they prepared for games. And this year in December, all of a sudden, Doug was like, we need to get back to the fundamentals and we need to start practicing tackling Mm -hmm. and protecting the football and things like that. And that is where some disconnect lied. But Doug's, you know, he dug his line in the sand and said, no, because I believe that we have to, if we, if you don't master those fundamentals, like the emotion in riding that wave is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so that says to me that those things weren't being addressed. They were covered up because there were wins and now he's recognizing that in terms of creating sustainability, if those fundamentals aren't mastered, then they're going to find themselves in the same exact position. Well, I think you've got a lot invested into that defense, and whether it's dollars or draft picks as far as your capital is concerned, and they allowed 30 or more points four times mm-hmm. since the bye week. That is inexcusable. So yeah. I think Doug made the decision before the Jaguars lost to the Titans but obviously, had the Jaguars beaten the Titans, who knows what would have happened if they'd then got on a postseason run and, and been gone deep into the playoffs. Who knows what we're all talking about at that point in time. We're obviously talking about a completely different yeah. situation because then the Jaguars wouldn't have allowed Derrick Henry the 153 yeah. yards on the ground and Spears a couple touchdowns between rushing and receiving. But that's the way that it shook out. And, and maybe a couple years from now, we look back and we say, wow, the Jaguars wouldn't have gotten, let's just throw a name in there, Ron Rivera mm-hmm. or... Leslie Frazier or whoever it ends up being, Wink Martindale. The Jaguars wouldn't have gotten him as a defensive coordinator, and we wouldn't be talking about, a, a hopefully at that point in time, a Super Bowl. Like The Jaguars wouldn't have gotten at this point if they hadn't parted ways with Mike Caldwell in yeah. 2024. It, who knows? There's so many different ways that it can go. But in the end, that's what happened is the defense collapsed. And not saying the offense did much better, uh, but they certainly had more things, I think, to point to with the injuries to the offensive line and the injuries to Trevor Lawrence. That's, to me, the summation of the end of the year is the defense fell apart, Mm -hmm. your quarterback got injured, and your offensive line was never any good. And, oh, by the way, they were beat up too. So I think Doug can at least, for the offense, say, all right, it wasn't necessarily the play calling that was terrible. It was the fact that nobody could block, Mm -hmm. and therefore we couldn't run the ball. And, oh, by the way, my quarterback's dealing with injury number four at this point in time, or five. I've, I've lost count of how many different injuries he went through or suffered. So that's what, to me, when Doug took a step back and looked at all of it, that's where I think his evaluation came in. Yeah, and I think that I'm sure that was a large part of it, and especially because you can have these kind of um, excuses to justify that side of it. But I think in the first half we were still talking about how we weren't seeing an offense that we thought was going to be the Jags offense this season, and we never did. Unfortunately, yes, then Trevor got hurt, and it was injury after injury, and then the line started getting beat up. So then there was kind of put in excuses for it. But this season, not one time for a full game did I see what the offense should have been. And my frustrating part, too, is when you'd watch them and it was constantly miscommunications yeah. on the offense. And it's like, wait a minute. You guys are an NFL offense and yeah. this is week 16, 16 17, yeah. 18. Like, week two, three, four, time, you could be like, okay, it's right. taking a little bit. Calvin hasn't played all of these things, but they just, it never got better. And it, it wasn't never got just better. Calvin. Yeah. That's the other thing, too. So, uh, certainly some decisions to make. Calvin Ridley is one of those decisions. Josh Allen, I think, is, to me, less of a decision, more of an e- easy decision to make. Yeah. But uh, but certainly we'll see. And so right now we just have a very angry, disappointed, frustrated <laughs> fan base. Uh, we're right there with all of you. Yes. Uh, especially everyone who, and I had a lot of friends, who went up to Nashville. And I saw how much fun they were having Friday night, how much fun they were having Saturday night. And then Sunday happened. Yeah. Oh. Those yeah. poor people. And there were, I mean, walking the stadium grounds Saturday, Sunday morning, it felt like a Jags home game, quite honestly, on that one side of the stadium that wrapped around those side that you see on TV. Certainly the the home side was filled with Titans fans, but there's an argument to be made. Like, 
Duval filled out much of that lower bowl, but the Titans fans were a little bit louder once the uh, the on the field began. Unfortunately. All right, we will review our impact players in that game against the Titans. And also we will talk about just this season as a whole. You're listening to Helmets and Heels driven by Tyrell at on XL 92.5 FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Thank you for playing a little Fleetwood Mac, JJ. Makes me happy. Anytime. Thank you. Sometimes music will lift your spirits, you know? The storm is passing, Lauren. Yes, we were in probably the safest place in all Jacksonville, which is this studio. (laughs) Yeah, our Our building itself is cinder block. And then the studio is inside like the center of the building. Mm -hmm. There is not a window in the studio that leads to the outside, which I hate in the summertime because I love to see the sunshine. Uh, But today I was like, well, Plato wise, (laughs) I think this is literally the safest place we could be. And so, yeah, I hope everyone stayed safe out there. Uh, Certainly it was a wild storm earlier. All right, we're going to review our impact players in the loss to the Titans. I will go first. I had Calvin Ridley on the offensive side and Josh Allen on the defensive side. Calvin Ridley almost had an unbelievable game. He still had a pretty good game. Mm -hmm. But had he been able to catch that second deep pass from Trevor Lawrence, I think we're talking about a a different storyline for this team and a different ending And Josh Allen, I thought, completely disappeared. I was probably more disappointed with Josh Allen, maybe Devin Lloyd. um, But as far as a guy who I expected to have multiple sacks in this game, I just didn't think he jumped off the page for me. I mean, he didn't have the sack till the second half. Mm -hmm. And And that was really half thanks to Trayvon. Right. Well, and, and that's number one. Number two, speaking of Trayvon, Coach Campo noted the Titans were intentionally running in Josh Allen's direction. They wanted no part of 44. Yeah, nor should they. Uh, and so certainly uh, we'll get to Trayvon in a second. Mia, you went with Brandon Sheriff and Tyson Campbell. Yeah, probably a swing and a miss there uh, too. Uh, you know, Tyson finishes with five tackles, um, but at the same time there were more than one moments in which, you know, you had to wonder how he was covering D-Hop. Mm-hmm. Was he turning his head around? Was he taking the right angles? And obviously when it came to tackling Derrick Henry across the board, I yeah. think you can find instances in which every member of the defense – could have done something differently. Um, and then as, as far as Scherf goes, I, I mean, look, he's not what he was five years ago, mm-hmm. clearly. I think Me that, neither. Or last year. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think, correct. I think in pass protection, he wasn't as bad this year as many believe. However, you know, he, he's having to try to elevate. Number one, he's got a rookie on the right, to, uh, to his right, and he's trying to elevate the play of the player to his left. And so that's putting you behind the eight ball basically from the jump. Um, so that's that's part of it. I also think we should talk about the fourth and two, fourth and one, whatever it was, play on the goal line because you can see that Scherf and Ezra, the way they were pulling, the way they were blocking, it was set up to try to get either Tank Bigsby on a handoff off mm-hmm. to that right side. And I know there's those who believe that he would have gotten blown up before that. But it looked like there was at least a creation for a hole, and there was a plan yeah. in terms of scheming it up. And then Trevor just audibled at the line and said, oh, we're only three inches out. Well, no, the spot wasn't that good, so you weren't three inches out. I'm going to stick my hand out. Yeah, it was way too far for that decision to be made. I we knew thought. that was going to catch up at some point, that yeah. play. <laughs> I mean, it, 
to me, it was fairly obvious that it was too far for yeah. that. And and also, when you go back and you watch the the play in slow motion, that's mm-hmm. not what they thought they were doing. Definitely and not. so that Fowler one's probably ended up ten yards backwards. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's probably on the quarterback. I mean, not probably. Yeah. That is on the quarterback, and that's something that I think most Jaguars fans are hoping that Trevor learns the yeah. the nuances of stuff like that when it comes to next season. All right, JJ, you had Zay Jones and of course Trayvon Walker. Uh, one and one. <laughs> yeah. Zay tried. I'll say that. <laughs> I tried. really think he was so beat up that yeah. in most situations, I don't think he would have played. Uh, but this was a game that the Jaguars had to have and they, they, I think thought he was good enough. Yeah. Me, I'm sure you saw him post game. Did he look beat up to you? Yeah. yeah. I, I think physically, emotionally, yeah. and he was very transparent. Um, if you, if you listen to our one-on-one with him. In the post-game locker room, um, he was very very open about, you know, how frustrating this was, um, how frustrating a season it was for him. I mean, even just watching him the last few weeks with the, with the brace on his knee, kind of just, you know, bulky and making his way through the locker room each day after practice, you could tell it wasn't the same pep in his step. But at the same time, he made no excuses. Mm-hmm. He stressed that there are tons of teams playing through injury right now, dozens and hundreds of players Playing through injury, and so I think he, Trevor Lawrence, go down the list of guys. Said, you know what? I can't use that excuse. Yeah. I need to find a way. And unfortunately, I mean, there's multiple in the playoffs with their backup quarterback. So that is true. Taylor, you may not be doing opposing players yeah. next yeah, season. Like, so I don't think the, it worked. I out gave too them well. the recipe to win. That is exactly <laughs> correct. I mean, I'm sure they listened to the show and heard you select Derrick Henry, and so they automatically <laughs> then we're going to feed him the ball. You yeah. also went to Nico Autry and Aziz Aziz Al Shair. Shair, he I felt like I saw the entire game. Almost every single defensive player I fe- I mean play, I felt like he was around it in some form and I was like, "Man, I wasn't trying <laughs> to help you guys." But he just had an incredible game which obviously was not good for us. Um, but I mean, it, it was just one of those games you feel like when these guys they wanted it and I I, I asked Tommy Mack before uh, in the kickoff show how much that really does affect certain teams when you have that more like revenge factor and coming back and the Jags knocked them out last year and Tommy Mack was like it's real like it's a real thing some of these guys and he's like and you also have to think like maybe that they're not thinking about the playoffs but these guys have incentives that they're trying to hit they're trying to get career records and we heard Arden Key which he ended up not doing it but you they have personal goals too that they're trying to hit so he was like these are professional athletes 95 percent of the time they're still going to come out especially against the division rival and that's what they did yeah, I think they watched a lot of tape of the Jags and realized this is a team we can beat. Yeah. Like, this is a team that is severely flawed in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And even though that's what we thought about their team, yeah. they ended up proving us wrong. And they said, our offensive line isn't trash. We're going to go out there and we're going to run the ball effectively. And you guys are going to be the ones who can't run the football. Yeah. All right, Taylor, you asked uh, this question. What was the turning point this season? Last year, there was a turning point in a good way. And yeah. that's what propelled the Jaguars to be able to make the playoffs. This year, obviously not so much. What would you say is a turning point? Yeah, I think for me, I feel like you have to say after the bye week because that's when I just feel like everything started to fall apart. And you had you had a tough opponent against the Niners, and everyone kind of shrugged that off because they were like, okay, it's the 49ers, and obviously they've continued to just be hot for the rest of the season. But that 34-3 loss, everyone, it, it – we used a lot of excuses of why that was it. And it was like, it's okay. Cause you beat the Titans and the Texans next. 
but it wasn't it wasn't ever anything super convincing especially I guess the Titans one was de- was a, a decent win because you came out fast you were like they came out strong they went up quick and that kind of was a game that you were able to hold on to but the Texans game came down to a missed field goal there was a lot and then it was just a streak of losing and then you beat the Panthers who are bad and then you lose again so I think that for whatever it was during the bye week, and there were a string of injuries after that, a lot of things started happening that probably all calculate together. But for me, that's the moment that that Niners win that we tried to shrug off was something that we never completely got to shrug off. Yeah, I can certainly understand that. Mia, I would say I mean, the Niners loss. Loss, sorry. Yeah, I would say the loss to the Bengals. Yep. When, the moment that Christian Kirk went down yep. and all the air went out of the stadium and the offense, not that it was running on all cylinders before that point, but it certainly feel, felt like it went a little bit backwards. And I think it was not that that was the moment we knew the Jaguars weren't going to make the playoffs. That literally didn't happen until Sunday because of the situation. But that was the moment for me that it was, this was your chance on primetime television to show the world who you are, to bounce back from some of those losses that you've had, and really to claim stake over the AFC because they had the chance to, to have the number one seed in the AFC with a win that night. And you're playing a backup quarterback in Jake Browning, and instead you made him look like he was – Joe Burrow. Yep. I couldn't agree more. That was going to be my answer. Um, And I agree. I think the Christian Kirk injury was like the omen of all omens. Um, But I actually am going to call an audible. You're allowed. For all of the. Just don't reach it over the goal line. Right, exactly. Let us know. (laughs) Speaking of 16. Speaking speaking of 16, that arguably could have been his best game of the season. The, Cle- the, the Bengals, the Bengals yeah. game. I almost said Clemson. The Bengals game. The Bengals game. <laughs> they're the are... same colors as Clemson. <laughs> right, the they're also are. Tigers. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, arguably, that could have been his best game of the season. He was firing on all cylinders. I believe it was like an 88% completion percentage. The defense was obviously to blame for the bulk of what went down that night at the mm-hmm. bank. But that's where I wonder if Trevor Lawrence's injury mm-hmm. late in that game, we, we know about the knee injury that was suffered week six against the Colts, but that ankle injury, mm-hmm. the image of him in the golf cart and refusing the golf cart. Yeah, I was like, no <laughs> golf cart. And then, and then, because don't forget, if not for the phantom holding call, which I do think was a holding call, but still, on Anton Harrison, C.J. Beathard hits Calvin Ridley. They pounded into the end zone, which they probably would have tried to roll it out on third and two, knowing, you know, the play caller. Yeah. Um, but as so long as they find a way into the end zone, I don't think Trevor Lawrence plays the next week because at that point they're in control of the number one seed. They can afford to lose to the Browns. C.J. Beathard would have played, and for what it's worth, seeing the game plan they rolled out there when C.J. Beathard did start against the Panthers, well, the Panthers and the Browns, very different defenses. Yeah. But at the same time, I think the Jags at least find a way to be competitive without Trevor Lawrence. He gets that one week to, to rest up get ready for the Ravens, and I think that that changes the trajectory as well. I saw, and I'm sure you all saw this on Twitter earlier today as well, the video, it was about two minutes long of Trevor's near touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you sit there, and it's like, okay, Trevor's received all this criticism over the last handful of hours, and some of it is certainly deserved, and and some of it, it's like, man, this team was so close to being – much better mm-hmm. on offense as far as production's concerned, including the red zone. And it's not if it wasn't for these, and it's not all drops. Yeah. The ball could have been placed a little bit better at times, but they were that close so many times. And if some of those, if half of those, he connects with the receiver, this team is in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean easily and may be closer to the number one seed. It's just so many little things. So I don't sit here and go, well, Trevor's the to blame like and or the play callers to blame I don't necessarily believe that I think things need to change with both mm-hmm. 
But I think they had an issue in so many different areas yeah. that it was little things on yep. offense, yeah. bigger things on defense, but little things on offense that were so they were so close. I think that last year the ball bounced their way. Yes, catches were made that. Yeah, in the second half, of nine the season. out of ten times maybe don't get made. Mm-hmm. This year or five out of ten, fine. This year was the other side of the coin in yeah. those instances. Yeah, and I remember when they were in London, so week five, six, whatever, uh, that I made a comment saying pretty much what you did, Lauren, where I was like, the scary part for me is that I can't place exactly what's wrong because there's too many little things that are going wrong, and at some point it's going to catch up, and that's pretty much what you just said ended up being the ending of it. There was nothing – there wasn't like, hey, here's the main issue. If we fix this, you can win football games. It was every week was something different, little things here on offense, little things here on defense. And I think also one of the glaring things this entire year is you couldn't win a football game at home hardly at all. And every Oof. other team that's in the postseason has a winning record at home, and the Jags did it. You're not going the – the chances of you going to the playoffs and not being able to win at home is not very high. You lose to the Texans at home early in the season – Look at that. That could have been you into the postseason if you just would have beat them. Yeah, and I do understand. Like, So my prediction of the record before the season was 15-2. and The reason that it was that lofty is because I thought the Jaguars would go undefeated in the division. Division, I did not expect the Colts, the Titans, or the Texans to put up any resistance Mm -hmm. this season. Yes, moving forward, I thought they would. So obviously that was going to be completely different. And, of course, having the injuries. But either way... I was completely wrong. I thought that Trevor was going to be the best quarterback in 15 games out of this 17-game schedule, and that wasn't the case either. And mm-hmm. it's not all his fault like we just detailed, but certainly when your quarterback isn't playing well, whether that's the line's fault, his fault, play calling's fault, combination, you're not going to win football games, and that's obviously what happened. 9-8 and eight last year felt so good. 9-8 <laughs> and eight this year is a disaster. No. What was your prediction, Taylor? I had – I said 9-10 wins. Okay. And I remember I said it on Crosstalk and Hayes and Frank booed me. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I truly had them. I think I said I think they'll split the division. And I said that just because I was like – they just I, they haven't proven to me that they've passed that like oomph of being able to get those all of the divisional games. I think they'll knock out some and they'll win it here and there, and that's ended up ended up being what happened. Texans were are way better than what I thought they were. I didn't think the Texans were going to beat the Jags because the Texans were a better team at the end of the year, but I do I did just think that because of some of the situations, and I did believe that Stroud would be a pretty decent quarterback. So I was. Pretty close, but I, I didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. I'm looking back at my predictions. I did have eight and three. I had them beating the Bengals and then losing to the Browns, which, as I just outlined, in this, you know, catch-22 sliding glass doors moment that we're describing of where things went wrong, if they did eke out that victory over the Bengals, you know, maybe, maybe this was possible. Um, but I also had them losing in Nashville because I, I don't believe, even now without Mike Vrabel, and even with potentially that roster having the biggest question mark of any of the four teams in the AFC South heading into 2024, um, I still think that's always going to be a hostile environment. And I understand Doug Peterson went into this game 3-0 and against the Titans as the head coach of the Jaguars, and all the optimism was going the Jaguars' way. Um, but I do think even with a new roster, a new head coach, I think that idea of the Titans being tough, I think that's ingrained in who they are. And so I don't think it's going to be easy trips to Nashville, even with no more Mike Vrabel to play against. And I think that that's the biggest issue with the Jaguars right now. Who are they? Mm-hmm. What is their identity? What's their defense known for? What's their offense known for? Aside from Trevor Lawrence as their quarterback. Yeah. They, they I, don't have 
that identity, that moniker they can identify with. So what was your final? I had 12 and 5. 12 and 5. But okay. I had them starting 8 and 3. And the three losses were a little bit different. I did have them losing to the Texans, fun facts, um, in, at home. So uh, let's put that one out there. Um, I did have them beating the Niners, which obviously didn't happen. But, you know, it, it, it's fascinating and it will be fascinating regardless of what happens next year to look back on exactly what transpired over the last six weeks. Can I ask to make this request to not do a schedule prediction on video <laughs> next year? No, it's part of the fun, or maybe man. lower your expectations, Lauren. I'm okay. Call me oh. out. I got some Bills fan right now tweeting at me. Because at least if you'd re- you'd rather be wrong in that sense. Like, you'd rather pick 9-10 wins and then win 12 than you pick 15. <laughs> I mean, I was so hopeful, so optimistic. Several. I was at training camp every day, and they looked just freaking incredible on offense. And every single person in the building, I was looking at them today. Blue had ten wins. So of all the of all the on air people that we did, Blue had ten. Every other person had twelve or more. So it was like it wasn't you weren't alone in the sense of where they you thought they'd be. That's the thing. Going to practices and watching them Mm -hmm. helped to build this idea in my mind. I just shouldn't go to training camp, and then maybe I'll be more realistic. I've found the answer. Ay, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, by the way, the Jaguars do pick 17th in the draft, so we've got months to break down who they should take with that pick and, and all that fun stuff. When we come back, Taylor will take us around the NFL. You are listening to Elements and Heels, driven by Tyra Outlet on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Stilettos. And Sabermetrics. Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Elsewhere around the country, there are 12 teams that are going to play this upcoming weekend. 14 teams overall in the postseason. 12 of those get to play this weekend, so we'll be predicting some Good matchups here in just a little bit, but first, Taylor's going to take us around the NFL because there's basically happiness in 14 cities, (laughs) just not here in Jacksonville. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to continue on with that playoff theme, too, and um, some of the some stats that I recently have came across. So there is a site uh, that I really like going to when you're trying to see certain analytics. There are a lot of the ones you'll see where you you see the charts on Twitter and stuff where it's break, you'll, they're kind of like plot charts with all mm-hmm. of the teams or quarterbacks or whatever it may be. But it's Sumer Sports um, is what they are. So it's just all analytical stuff. And they break down pretty much like every possible thing you could in the entire world. But they just recently dropped a, a playoff version of, of kind of like a handbook okay. of what to expect. And they break down every team individually. And then they do the playoffs as a whole. Um, so there was just some interesting numbers that I wanted to uh, get kind of, I guess, get you guys to maybe guess some of these or what your thoughts would be when you hear certain verbiage and then go through some of the stuff that stood out to me. So, okay, sounds like fun. Um, this one kind of breaks down the offensive and defensive EPA a play. Um, for that, obviously, you hear that word a lot, but it's pretty much just the expectation um, to the reality of what happens and how much a specific player or the defense or offense, whether if it's the whole of that, uh, the whole offense, the whole defense, or if it's a specific player, how much they really change certain factors in whatever the specific stat is they're calculating. So for this one, it's the just the offensive defensive EPA p- per play as a whole, um, and this is relative to the rest of the league. So these rankings are for the entire league. And it, it, that, that's kind of what's interesting to me is it gives you those rankings and you'd be surprised at the amount of some of these that are not top 
st- top rankings and they're in the playoffs for certain certain situations. So if I were to ask you guys who you thought was the best rushing offense that's in the in the postseason right now, who would you say? Hmm. Who would you guess? Best rushing offense. So Ravens. Ravens. Yeah, Ravens is a yeah. good guess. Ravens or I'll, the Niners. I'll go Dolphins just to mix it up. Yeah. Yep, it was the Ravens. So Ravens have the number one rushing offense. And then when you so when you go through, this is one of the things that stood out. I'll ask a, a few more specifically on it. Um, and just for reference, you said Dolphins. So Dolphins have the seventh, and this is like I said. So it's the whole league. So mm-hmm. seventh in the league is Miami. Baltimore is number one in the league overall. Um, number two is San Fran. Number four is Detroit, actually. Which I and I. I was at first a little surprised. Then when I go back, I was like, man, David Montgomery's had a good year. And then Jameer Gibbs has just honestly had an insane year for his rookie season. Um, And by the way, JJ had the best guess because Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Big part of that. Yeah. I I was thinking more running backs, but I should have included quarterbacks. And uh, Buffalo actually has the third, is third ranked. Uh, for their rushing offense, and that's something Which that super drastically surprising. changed in yeah. the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, Although Josh Allen, again, to also the same, uses his yeah, legs, and that's something you'll kind of notice in this. Okay, okay the, the top ones, Philly, Jalen Hurts also uses his legs. Yep. Um, one, I guess you would say the Rams are have eight, are number eight, and Stafford's not one to move around a lot. Kansas City at uh, 19 when it comes to rushing. But um, another thing that kind of popped out, so when you look at the most balanced offense, um, and that's obviously saying which team do you think has offensively rushing and passing a pretty good balanced offense? The Niners. I'd go, yeah, I would go 49ers for sure. Yeah, Niners, Niners. Niners. Yep, which is the Niners' rushing offense is second and their passing is first. Yeah, I <laughs> so, think seeing them in person yeah. brought a lot of this to light too, right? Like it's one thing to watch them on TV and, and okay, yeah, you know the Brock Purdy story and all that stuff. But then when you see them in person, it's like, okay, yep, yep that, there it is. That's exactly how you win a football game. Yeah. Um, some of the other ones that are up there too, Buffalo third with the rushing offense and fourth with the passing offense. Philly is sixth in both passing and rushing. Uh, Detroit, fourth and rushing, ninth and passing. Um, those are some of the more balanced ones. Some of the least balanced ones. What do you think Chiefs, would be the least Texans. balanced? Chiefs, Texans. Uh, so Chiefs have the 19th rushing and the 10th passing. Uh, and then you said who? Sorry. The Texans. Texans. Yeah. So the Texans have the 25th rush and the 15th pass. So that's a pretty big drastic one. It looks like Tampa's probably the biggest gap. They have the 29th rushing and 8th passing. Um, and some of these you have to take into consideration, like the Texans, CJ Stroud didn't play a couple games. Yeah. The Browns, you know, things got shifted as you far as You can also consider that some offense coordinators believe that the short passing game is an extension of their run game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Heard that a time or two in these parts. Mm-hmm. Um, you could argue that in Tampa Town for sure. Yeah, and with Pittsburgh, I don't even know who they're calculating technically because it's like Mason hasn't been in that much to right. have, I feel like, a large number of statistics when it comes to that uh defensively obviously you can you can be a little more precise on that but the funny thing to me when I'm looking at this guys because all offseason I feel like we talked a lot about the preseason uh in the preseason we talked a lot about AFC and how their quarterbacks were so much better than the NFC and how these offenses are going to be way higher powered than the NFC. And then and, Dak said, hold my beer. Yeah. Well, when you look at in the playoffs right now, the team, the offenses, the passing offenses that are in the AFC are the, it's the third, fourth, 
7th, 10th, 15th, 23rd, and 28th. For the NFC, it's 1, 2, 6, 8, 9, 5, and 12. So it's just it, it's weird how the AFC ended up being all of these quarterbacks that you knew were going to be really good. Maybe that's why there's so much more competitiveness over there when it comes to the offenses. But, I mean, you have the, the Browns in there who has the 28th passing offense in, there in the postseason. Yeah, the AFC did have more quarterbacks hurt, I feel like, mm-hmm. than the NFC did. I know Kirk Cousins, uh, but that's, yeah, Kirk, is that that's the it. only one? Because when you look at playoff teams just that are in, obviously Cleveland's with their backup, Pittsburgh's with, they're like sort of back. <laughs> yeah, sort of back. No one really knows what the starters supposed to be. Yeah, because uh, yeah, Kenny Pickett is I think healthy now, and they're not uh, yeah, playing he, him. He says he's not a number two. Deshaun, so. Aaron Rodgers, uh, Joe Flacco. That's a lot of AFC lot, quarterbacks. Definitely, uh, Joe Burrow. Yeah, Joe yeah. Burrow. Yeah, it's a lot of AFC quarterbacks. That was the reason that the Jaguars were going to easily get into the playoffs, remember? right? Because of all the backup, <laughs> backup quarterbacks. quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just I a told, refresher of that. I told uh, hey, Frank and Hayes that sports grief, if it's not like a a coined term to this point, it should be Mm -hmm. because like you just, when you think you're like getting past it, then something else comes flooding back and you're like, wait, no, I'm, I'm still grieving my team (laughs) and it's not, it's not going to get any better for a little while. Yeah. And the, the, another thing that's, these stats are so cool because it goes through. And so obviously it has like the four quadrants and the top right quadrant is where you want to be, because that's going to be obviously a high offensive EPA and a high defensive EPA and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of the teams that are in the playoffs are in that right quadrant. Like there's a pretty easy recipe to this of, of how you can get there. The outliers, uh, Houston, they are a little negative, a tiny bit negative in offensive and a tiny bit positive in defensive. And then same with the Steelers. They're both around the same spot. And then the Browns. The Browns are just like this way massive outlier. They're very negative offensively, but like tip top when it comes to their defensive EPA. And then another one, obviously, is Philly, which it's kind of you're looking at Philly and you're like, what in the world? Because offensively, they're still in the, a very high range uh, when it comes offensively, but they have the lowest defensive EPA in the in the playoffs right now. That's kind of wild. By the way, EPA, for people who don't know, is expected points added. Um, but that's, yeah, it's fascinating to look through the analytical lens, and then it's, it's interesting to also look at it in just of a momentum going mm-hmm. into the playoffs. Like, I think at this point, no one will be surprised if Tampa Bay beats the Eagles just based off of how things it's have gone to going. this point in the season. If I had said that when the Eagles were ten and one and the Bucks were struggling yeah. to to try and win their division, one. right? Yeah, people would have thought I was absolutely crazy. Yeah. And but it's all about when you're peaking. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think the Packers have a chance. What do you think as far as against the Cowboys? Um, I I think Dallas is just playing so well that there's there's several other teams in the playoffs right now that I, if I thought the Packers were playing them, I would mm-hmm. say honestly maybe there's a chance. Um, I just think that offensively the Packers are playing really good football and defensively not so much they were able to whoop on the bears but they just do that every year um but for the rest of the league they're bottom tier when it comes to defensive epa on this their defensive epa and just watching them you're like they're just not very good at that and I, it's going to be really hard for them to stop da- dallas's offense if they continue to what they've done like dak's one of those people dak and lamar two guys this season that People have been talking about for a long time to prove it, and it looks like this is their chance right now to show that. With regards to the Packers, it depends on which defense shows up. Yeah. Is it the one that gave up 30 to Carolina? Yeah. 
or is or it the, the one? And then they were that, shut out two times in a row. Right. Or it. is it the one that stifled the Kansas City Chiefs? Although yeah. that may have been their breaking point as well as when we yeah. started to see flaws in their offensive game plan. Um, it's funny because the Packers notoriously during Aaron Rodgers' time there invested so much on the defensive side of the ball in the NFL draft. There's so many high draft picks yeah. on that defense. And you have to think at some point it's all going to come together. Yeah. And Well, they have the youngest team in the NFL right, right now. and That's so, why they're kind of playing with house money. Yeah. And so, obviously, it, it does – it's a little unexpected. It's a little unpredictable, I guess, is the better word, because you don't – they are so young that it's like, which team are you getting? And you feel like you have seen diff- different teams week to week. Um, Jordan loves playing really good football, and I think he has 19 touchdowns, one interception in his last, like, seven, eight games or something. Um, really good. And a lot of that is because he has so many young guys that that's all, what he's been working with. It's not like he had to all of a sudden make these connections with all of these older veteran wide receivers when he got thrown in there. These are guys that he's been practicing with and working with, whether they're year one, year two, year three guys, and he's been able to develop with them. And I think that's helped a lot. Like, And you can see that. There's also like five or six of them. And they during the broadcast the other day, they said – not one month this year did the same receiver lead the Packers and receive. Every month they had a different receiver leading their team in receiving yards and touchdowns. I'm like, it's and like, I'm sure Taylor, Taylor is enjoying the Ugh, fact that terrible. Aaron Rodgers left and all of a sudden they started caring about drafting wide receivers and tight ends. I think it's kind of funny, honestly. I mean, I will say I don't have any hatred towards the Packers. I didn't like Aaron Rodgers, so now that he's gone, it's like, oh, okay, they're a fine, fine franchise. Yeah. And it's kind of cool to see Matt LaFleur, who basically got stiff-armed by Aaron, yeah. like be able to have some success so that way you know, he at least is having a much better January than, yeah. than certainly the Jets and, and Aaron are. Oh, yeah. And it, it's just you can tell it's a, a competent organization, too. Everything runs so much smoother there when things – when you feel like they have a bad season like last year and a lot of it honestly went directly back to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers wasn't able to win football games – uh, last season and it, a lot of it was what they have right now what Jordan Love is succeeding with and with the same coaching staff and with all of these things surrounding him but aside from that they've just been able to constantly like a coach leaves a new one comes in they're successful a running back leaves a new one comes in they're successful a quarterback leaves a new one comes in they're successful and it's that from top to bottom is shows what an organization should be ran like it's like certain ones have pixie dust and mm-hmm. other ones have dark clouds yeah. dark clouds <laughs> it feels <laughs> Around here, like there's a little bit of a dark cloud. <laughs> All right, we will get it to our impact players coming up in the wild card games this weekend. You're listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tyrell at Untention XL 92.5 FM. Helmets and Heels on 1010XL, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans. So this weekend, we've got super wild card matchups. Super wild card, not just wild card, super Ooh. wild card. Of course, the Ravens and the 49ers are taking a break. They get the bye week. And then on Saturday at 4.30, Browns at the Texans. Saturday night, 8 o'clock, Dolphins at the Chiefs. That game is on Peacock, by the way. And also that game officially could be the coldest yes. game on record in National Football League history. Yes. Expected to be zero degrees at kickoff, a low of negative nine. Yeah, I have been watching the weather, realizing that is going to be absolutely miserable. Uh, But I suppose that does help the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, We shall see. Sunday, 1 o'clock, we've got Steelers at Bills. Then 4.30, Packers at Cowboys. The Sunday night game, Rams at Lions. And then Monday night, the Eagles at the Bucks. That's the one 
nice part, I suppose, about the Super Wild Card Weekend is you've got the Monday Night Football because now we have that extra game, which is always fun. All right, so we are going to pick Impact players, no longer picking Jags players, blah, blah, blah. But we will pick Impact players. One offense, one defense from each of us from any of these games. I will be very intrigued to see what y'all decide. JJ, I'm going to start with you. Who you got on offense? Uh, quickly, I just want to yes. say the Ice Bowl, if you don't know, was uh, the Cowboys-Packers back yep. in the day. Mm-hmm. Minus 13. Ooh. Minus 13 degrees for the NFC title game. All yeah. right, Could so, you imagine? No. <laughs> my, I my couldn't even imagine that at not sitting in a game. Just no. in general, I, I have no idea what that would feel like. All right, and I never will. I'll be frozen. Um, <laughs> all right, I went a couple different games. So okay. offensively, I went, to me, it's the Tyreek Revenge game. Yep. Okay, I mean, I it that. is going to be in insane weather. Yep. Like you just said. So I don't expect the the offenses to be running up and down the field. But this is obviously hugely important for him individually. I mean, we heard last year all the naysayers about they can't win without Tyreek. What did they do? They won the Super Bowl. But this year it's sort of looking like, man, they need need somebody with a pulse as a wide receiver. So uh, can Miami do it in the cold? I don't think so, but that's a good one to watch. On defense, I'm going with Miles Garrett. Okay. Just because they they're on the road, they're favored, but to me they obviously don't ha- they have the second best quarterback in the game. So they're mm-hmm. relying heavily on the defense in this one, and he's obviously the leader. He's potentially the best defensive player this season. Yep. So I'm going to go with Miles Garrett and Tyreek. Yeah, I think those are good ones. Uh- it is really surprising to me. Was anyone else shocked by this that the Texans are not favored at home? Um, it's not because can I get to my impact player? Sure, go for Let's it. Let's do it. Um, so Noah Brown as well as Robert Woods both have not practiced yet this week for the Houston Texans. I know it's only Tuesday, um, but the game is Saturday. Both those players missed last week, and so that would put all the pressure on my impact player on offense, which is Nico Collins. Obviously, goes off on Saturday night against the Colts. Not so sure against such a stout defensive back group for the Browns if that can be replicated. So I had Nico Collins. Oh, there's I, there's I knew there might be a duplicate somewhere in this. I was worried about we it. We were talking I can pick about a different one. That's it's okay. fine. No, yeah. it's good. I, I can easily pick a different one. For um, people listening, we were talking about on break what our chances were to actually have a duplicate because there's I was so worried. many options. <laughs> there are so many options, but I had this little concern because we are so close to the AFC South yeah. that someone else might take Nico Collins, who, by the way, is coming off of a game with Nine catches for 195 yards and a touchdown against the Colts. That playoff game was, we never really talked about it this yeah. week. None of us have really been talking about it because of all the Jag stuff. Yeah. That game was so much fun to watch. It was super fun. I mean, obviously the ending, if you're a Colts fan, was miserable. But yeah. let me turn it I on its head then because okay. I'll pick a different offensive MVP. And I'll just say my defensive play- impact player, yes, uh, Martin Emerson Jr., the nickel corner for the Cleveland Browns, who's been awesome, kind of come out of no, nowhere, alongside Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom, who's also played a little bit in the slot as well. I think that those three are going to be critical because I think it's the best trio of corners that C.J. Stroud has faced because don't forget, he did not play against the Browns when they met in the regular season. Mm-hmm. I will – so I'll take a different offensive player, and I think this one is one that if this team's able to win, it will be all mainly because this guy has a really good game – you know him, you love him, Mike Evans of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's the only receiver to have, what is it now, 10 straight, 1,000-yard seasons. Yeah. And uh, he's a beast. Obviously, the Jags couldn't cover him uh, when the Jags played the Bucks, And so I will take Mike Evans. And again, I, that to me is one of the most fascinating games of this postseason because the Eagles are falling apart. Mm-hmm. But, the, but they are a team that went to the Super Bowl last year, yeah. so can they figure it out? 
I think that will be an That's a very nostalgic matchup for me. Yeah? Just because, you know, the early 2000s, they played each other every single year in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eagles, Bucks, every year, I think for like three or four straight years, you know, the Andy Reid teams, the Donovan McNabb, McNabb teams, and the Packers-Cowboys. That's yeah. It seems weird because, like, you don't really, for me, I kind of see, like, uh, a different quarterback there, and I'm like, it's not the same Packers. But seeing them playing yeah. Dallas, mm-hmm. that's like something you see in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. That's an important game. There's a lot of Packers fans that that I know that hate Dallas more than the Bears because Dallas has given them more competition than the Bears have had, and they just have that history. Oh, yeah, yeah in the playoffs, yeah. for sure. That means or makes perfect sense. Uh, as far as on defense, I will go. By the way, Taylor gets to go last in this, even okay. even though like she did all season long with the impact <laughs> players. Apparently, uh, I'm gonna go with Bills linebacker Terrell Bernard. He's the one who had to replace yep. uh, the injured Matt Milano. He is the first player since 1991 to finish a regular season. And again, he didn't even start the whole regular season, but he finished with over six sacks, over three interceptions and over three fumble recoveries. So he's been playing really good football for the Bills. I thought when Matt Milano went down against the Jags and the Bills lost to the Jags, the, their season was was going in the wrong direction. I was clearly wrong. All right, Taylor, who you got? So offensively, I'm going Dak Prescott. I think that uh, what I mentioned earlier— the first quarterback taken. Yes. What is wrong with us? <laughs> I just think that, as I mentioned earlier, it's that— you, Dak ha- has a little something extra to prove. He's been hearing a lot of talk for a lot of years of he can't be that clutch. Last year he had way too many interceptions. He knocked that down by a ton this year, 36 touchdowns and nine interceptions this year, which is just uh, really, really good numbers, obviously. Um, CD's had a career year, but I think that for Dak Prescott when it comes to playing, as I mentioned, this Packers defense who week by week you kind of – it's very unpredictable. You're not quite sure what you're going to get out of them. Um, I do think that the offense is going to be relied on pretty heavily to be able to score and put up points because Packers offense is uh, is able to put up those points. And Jordan Love's able to make connections with so many different wide receivers. Um, Dak Prescott this year, we were talking about that EPA per play, is third in EPA per play. He's the fourth in completion percentage, 12th in catchable passes, and fifth in yards per attempt. So he's just had one of those years where every number statistically – He's doing well, and to be able to continue that into the postseason, I think for him is just really important, and for the Cowboys in general. Absolutely. I think they're the team that— I'd obviously go, Cowboys, has... I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. They're the team that—the Bills and the Cowboys are two that I think have a ton of pressure. The mm-hmm. Chiefs, while, yes, the fan base one always wants to win, blah, 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 you've got Mahomes, you've got Randy yeah. Reid. You have recent Super Bowls. But you have recent Super Bowls. Yeah. It's a different type of pressure. Mm-hmm. The expectations are always going to be there. Don't get me wrong. And the Eagles, certainly that too, but they did just get to the Super Bowl even though they didn't win. The Bills and the Cowboys have been like knocking at the door but haven't been able to open the door. And we'll get to your defensive player in a second. Yeah, yeah there's more than one person out there suggesting nationally, national insiders, even if they were, you know, obviously they, they made the playoffs, but if they were to lose – do you say goodbye to Sean McDermott? Do you say goodbye yep. to Mike McCarthy? Because there are some people that believe those two wow. could still be on thin ice. Um, real quick, um, another offensive player for me since I promised it. Um, Tyron Williams, yeah. Los Angeles Rams, quietly. Second mm-hmm. leading rusher in the National Football League this year. The Lions have the second best run defense. Mm-hmm. They have the 27th best pass, pass defense. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it will be very curious to see how Sean McVay attacks the Lions on Saturday. So you're getting two offensive players? 
No, I said Chico and Nico. Remember, I said Chico and Nico, and I flipped it. But Lauren picked a different. So do you want Nico or do you want Kyron? Oh, that's my bad. Whatever. No, you're good. All good. You can have two. All right, Taylor, who do you have on defense? Um, so I'm going to go the route of Philly's defense. Um, I think for Philly to be able to win, their defense is going to have to figure some things out. And uh, we saw a major decline in the second half. They've allowed. They allowed. Before this previous game, 68 points in the second half of their games and the three games before the New York game. Um, they held the Giants to three points, but were already down 24 nothing in the second half, so it didn't really matter at that point. The interesting thing that I read that I didn't even completely correlate because they Matt Patricia took over the defensive play calling right when this complete downfall started, which is interesting because they were struggling a little bit before but it turned into even worse once he took over. So it's going to be interesting to me to see what they do. But I'm picking Hassan Reddick because I think that a team that last year we were talking about leading with 70 sacks mm-hmm. uh, for the season, and now they only have 43 right now. Uh, tackling's been a major issue in the second half. That's just not something that you've seen through the from the Philly defense, especially last year, but even in early parts of this season. And for some reason, it's really started to fall apart. So I think it's going to be super important for them to be able to figure that out um, to beat Tampa. I think that you can. You can figure out ways to beat this Tampa offense because as much as they do have weapons, like you said, and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Baker's been playing decent, He Baker's also one of those guys when you start pressuring him and making him throw the ball into situations that he doesn't want to, he'll turn over the ball. And when you start getting that from Baker, it unravels a little bit offensively. So I do think it's going to be really important for Philly, especially considering – Almost their entire offense just got hurt in the last game they played. Yeah, seriously. All right, well, here's what you get to do, Mia. You get to watch both players, and whichever one played better, you get to claim them. Yeah! I think that, I think that the works. Chance. Let's I, do it. I love it. And if Nico Collins does well and Mike Evans doesn't, then I'll claim Nico Collins <laughs> and we'll go. move right along. All right, we've got our Heels highlights coming up. You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tatlet on 10 xl 92.5 FM. Stilettos and Sabermetrics. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Mia O'Brien is here, Taylor Dodge, JJ LaSilva. I'm Lauren Brooks. I'm a little rattled at the moment <laughs> because... Uh, some Breaking people are, news. Some people are afraid of snakes and spiders. Some people are afraid of the dark. As most people know, I am terrified to fly. And everyone always tells me flights are safer than driving. I understand that. But I still don't enjoy flying on a plane. I don't enjoy takeoff. I don't enjoy flying, even cruising at altitude or whatever, 10,000 feet. I don't enjoy the landing. I enjoy none of flying. And there's been some scary stories in the news lately. And y'all That's were all. filling me I, in. I always have to share them with Lauren every time I <laughs> yes, hear one. Yes, why is that? I don't know. I just know, enjoy it. But now I can just envision myself on a flight and the door flying <laughs> off. And now I'm never going to... I was never going to fly peacefully anyways, but now I really am not. And I just booked flights on an exit row, and now I'm even more concerned. So I might have to be I changing saw, my seat. I saw the video, and as soon as JJ was like, oh, by the way, did you see that flight? And I was like, oh, no. Don't tell her. Don't tell her. I literally, this is how bad it is. I'll tell you two examples of how bad my flight anxiety is. One, every time they have that awful AT&T commercial where they're on the plane. Oh, the one about like how they have to pay it's for everything. So yes. not funny. Yeah. It's, te- it's a terrible commercial, but then 
Every single, it's, they're in a plane. So every single time that commercial comes on, I immediately, like, my stomach. What? Yes, that's oh how. Oh, my God. That's, you have a mental illness. I, I have serious <laughs> flight anxiety. Every single time I see it, I'm like, oh, no. And there used to be a commercial. I think it was State Farm. These insurance agencies are killing me. The one with Andy Reid, mm-hmm. and they, like, are, you know, um, coloring on the face of somebody. Wasn't it Andy Reid? Yes. Yeah, like, while he's asleep. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that was on oh. a plane. Oh. And I'm like, change it. Wow. Change it. And so then, just like any movie yes, or Yes, film, I don't watch like, movies that are show. based in planes. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> and then Taylor was just telling us a story about flying. And the whole time she's telling <laughs> the so story, I, I have literal anxiety. I was talking about a great time on a flight, you though. You were. Okay. <laughs> and that is hopefully what I will have whenever we go to fly. It's just... <laughs> It's, it, but you know what? I just keep telling myself there are thousands of flights a day, yeah. and other than recently, one in Alaska, been, yeah, Look. one in Alaska, and then the whole Japanese thing when the two planes. Oh yeah, yeah, that wasn't. When good. you have a fear like <laughs> oh that, God. there's nothing you can do, and that's why no, I, there's I, not. I woke up this morning to a text from my grandma who lives out like way towards Middleburg and she was like, "Look at my visitor this morning," and it was this massive turkey outside her window. <laughs> And I was like, why would you even send Don't this send it to the person me. who hates birds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. See, that's, I can understand that. Uh, I told you when I was in, I think I've told you this story. When I was in Hawaii, I was babysitting my three cousins. Mm-hmm. And my one cousin who was 15 knew that I, I was in my early 20s. She knew that I hated birds. And because 15-year-olds can be like this, she started taking pieces of her McDonald's hamburger bun and throwing them on the ground so that the seagulls would flock all around us. No. Just a lovely I hate that so much. Yeah. She still laughs about it to this day. But then I made sure that we went hiking in the rainforest and she hated being dirty. You left her behind. Yeah. No. (laughs) Abandoned her. But she had mud all over her legs and she was like, I hated being dirty. And so I was like, see, that's what you get. And I made her wake up at like 5 a.m. so that we could hike Diamond Head for the sunrise, oh. and she was also not happy because you know what 15 year olds want to do. Yeah, back then they just not wanted to that. watch MTV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not get up that early. I don't want to do that. Absolutely. All right, uh, we've got some highlights for you this evening. Nobody does it better. Caitlin Clark gets the shot off with 0.1 second left to beat Michigan State. Davis, time winding down. Are they going to get the ball up in time? Clark for the win! C.J. Stroud with a 75-yard bomb to Nico Collins to put Texans up 7-3 over the Colts. As Stroud, a little play action to start. Good protection. Airs it out for Collins. He's got it. One play. Touchdown, Texans. Blake Corum's touchdown to extend Michigan's lead to 27-13 in the national championship. Carthy, quarterback. Some very crafty play calls down here, and said they just handed this time to Cora. Steps back, breaks a tackle, touchdown, Michigan. The Wolverines rediscover the end zone. It's Corbs. Barner leads it around. The left guard also is able to get around Keegan. And Washington just missed the tackle right there. 
the good hard running by Blake Horam gets him into the end zone. And the extra point doinks off the left upright, but banks in. Taylor, thank you for including the doink that went in. I wasn't sure if that was in your uh, we, so capabilities anymore. Even though it was an, a loss, we doinked one in on Sunday. Okay. And that, I hope, reverses the curse forever. Uh, it hit the post, and I was like, oh, God. And then it went in, and I was like, we did it. We did it. But all we had was field goals. So. The fortunes of the franchise have changed for. Ever. Uh, my highlight was Michigan Blake Corn. We'll talk a little bit more about the national championship last night in a second. Iowa's Caitlin Clark, no surprise, Mia, was your highlight. I think if you if people hadn't heard of Caitlin Clark, and I know that seems surprising, but if they hadn't heard of her before that shot, I feel like now the world has been introduced. Oh, yeah. I mean, the world was introduced last March when the women's tournament enjoyed its biggest ratings ever. And uh, in, in some regards, maybe about rated the men's, at least on the, you know, the television and the social media interaction side, because it was such an elite final four and maybe a little subpar on the men's side. Look, I mean, it, what's so crazy for me to wrap my head around having been around Caitlin when she's in Iowa and, and she's just another kid. And then I, I watched the game that my parents were lucky enough to go to on Friday uh, against Rutgers. And she has five security guards just for her as she's leaving the arena. And no one leaves their seats at Rutgers, not at Iowa, in Iowa City, at Rutgers. No one leaves their seat because everyone is hoping and praying they can get an autograph from her. Mm-hmm. We have never seen a female collegiate athlete with this much aura, this much superstardom surrounding her. And yes, she does happen to play for the Iowa Hawkeyes and Lisa Bluter, one of my favorite coaches of all time who I've ever worked with. But it goes beyond that. She has gone beyond women's basketball. She's gone beyond Iowa. Like, this is, I don't even know how to describe what we're witnessing right now. Was the Rutgers, was that the Roman Empire girl shirt? Yes. So Taylor (laughs) sends it to me because we're watching, so Kevin and I are watching the game. And I'm telling you, they cut to this poor little girl who had an adorable homemade shirt that said, Caitlin Clark is my Roman Empire. Um, They cut to her at least nine times, including. Well, she's waiting to hopefully get an autograph, but Caitlin went yeah. the other way. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, trying to direct Caitlin to her. Caitlin doesn't know where she is, and there's five security guards around yeah. her. Which, for reference, if people don't know, the Roman Empire thing was, like, a, a, a trend that was on TikTok because a, a stat came out or a fact, whatever, um, some research topic came out that said that men, like 90% of men, think about the Roman Empire at least once a, once a day. And JJ, it can was you like, confirm? <laughs> It, something some in some form or I realm. I heard that. And so th- <laughs> it started this trend on- It was a meme. It became a meme for a few weeks. Yeah. Well, and it started a trend on TikTok where girls were going to their boyfriends, husbands, brothers, dads, whatever, and it was like, how often do you think of the Roman Empire? And almost every single one was like, not everyone said once a day, but once a week, uh, every couple days. What? Yeah, it was weird. So it started this whole thing of like, okay, well, if that's the the men is Roman Empire, what's a woman's like Roman Empire? So this girl okay. made the shirt based off of that. That's why some people probably didn't get it. But yeah. I, I, when I saw it, I immediately screenshot it and sent it to me. I was like, that's pretty funny. I, why do men think of the Roman Empire that often? I don't know. In every video, the women would ask like, why? And they're like, I don't like, because it's cool. Like, I don't know. <laughs> JJ, do you think of the Roman Empire every day? No. Okay. It's just that I get it, though. It's like about history. You think about stuff like that. And, you know, a lot came from the Roman Empire. Aqueducts. (laughs) 
That's right. So I mean, like I JJ's understand. answer like, was like every man. Yeah. Like they'd be like, even the ones that'd be like, not really. And they're like, but I get it because I. <laughs> if I watch. Oh my god! There's like, first of all, it lasted forever. Yeah. And if you just know anything about where this great empire is <laughs> and the end that we see, yeah, you think about how things ended that way, and you're like, oh, it's pretty similar. Uh, things are happening. I feel like if I had just watched Gladiator, then a maybe I yeah I'd think more about it. But uh, either way, all right, uh, Taylor, you actually picked the Texans. C.J. Stroud's bombed Nico Collins. Yeah, I know it's not the the best one, um, or I guess really fun for us to watch here. But the throw was incredible. I personally love Nico Collins, and I think it's something that we do have to start talking about Did more. Did you want to share him with me? And I? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take Nico. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think it's a, a topic that we're going to have to start talking about more and will be talking about because I think Stroud is it, and we are going to be talking about that connection for a while, and it's going to be something that the Jacks thought maybe they have a, a few years to have things easy on them, and obviously they don't. So They certainly don't. And let me clarify, in case people weren't listening earlier, the sharing of Nico Collins uh, <laughs> yeah. is because we picked impact then, players. Yeah, nothing beyond <laughs> and So I needed to make sure I set the record straight in <laughs> case you weren't listening before. Uh, yeah, and so when it comes to last night's national championship, I went with Blake Quorum. I, I thought maybe Washington with the high-powered offense and, and all the skill players that they had could end up beating Michigan because Michigan's much more of a plotting football team. Mm -hmm. But in the end, the plotting football team had explosive run after explosive yeah. run, and that's how you win a football game. Over 300 yards rushing in total for the Wolverines. And, uh, of course, both running backs, Donovan Edwards and Blake Corham, had over 100 yards themselves. So it was just one of those nights. I thought it was about to be 21-3 early, and I was like, well, that's, this is not a game. It's a lot like last year's national championship game. But Washington was able to hang around, was only down by a touchdown at the half. It just never felt to me like Washington was going to win it. And then obviously Michael Penix watching, watching him walk off the field for the last time was really sad. And, and you've got all the Michigan players just having the time of their lives, including Jim Harbaugh and his parents and his brother. And They're all so the great. I yeah. mean, like, here's the thing. Love or hate Jim Harbaugh, akin to Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he is leaning into the self-deprecating make-fun-of-myself-dad game. He is all the way in. He's also all the way into the bit of, did we cheat? Did we not cheat? We are innocent. And it's just a electric content at the end of the day. Like, I just find it all hilarious. And I understand I don't have a rooting interest for or against Michigan. But at the same time, like, and then, like, his parents are adorable. And shout out to Brad Galley for all the interviews with them because, I, you know, they're clearly a football family. And That's this, for sure. this mm -hmm. matters to them. And I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not, not as high on... J.J. McCarthy, perhaps, is some. I mean, look, 10 completions last night arguably may have been one of his worst games of the year. He's not asked to do all that much in that offense because he doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. um, I think Sharon Moore crying was one of the storylines of the 2023 college football season and then all the cussing on the air um, of NBC. Yeah, the cussing was intense. Or Fox, I should say. Yeah, it was intense. Um, so I think they're like a very fascinating team. It's not like I root for Michigan because I don't. But I think the Harbaugh's are great content. And, and it's love them or hate them, you have to laugh at them. And they enjoy it. They want to laugh with you. Yeah, I knew a few people that went to the game. Uh, our friend Marcus Pollard from the Jags, yeah. obviously a uh, big Michigan fan alum, and he had a great time. And then I have some other friends that went. And, I mean, they were not in the box or the suite with Michael Jordan and Steve <laughs> Smith and whoever else was up there. Uh, but they had a great time. And so Derek look, it, Jeter, of course. That's right, Derek, Derek Jeter, Jeter. Thank you. I knew, and then the rapper Travis Scott, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I 
I was just sitting there like, this is what a booth. Like, yeah. Honestly, I hate to sound um, mean, I suppose, but I feel like Stephen A is the one that like doesn't belong right. in that. I know. Group. Well, how did that get? Uh, There's like a group chat of that then where they're like, hey, you guys want a suite this weekend? <laughs> I, I mean, it was a very interesting uh, conglomerate. Like, how people, random can we get this? Let's go. Yeah. Uh, so I saw odds that Jim Harbaugh most likely to be the Chargers head coach this upcoming season. Agree with that? It's tough because, like, I think there's some school of thought of if he goes to Las Vegas, he will have free reign. Um, that he would be allowed to pick his GM. I think he would in Los Angeles. As Harbaugh well and Mark Chargers. Davis content. I feel like oh that would be. You would not. Oh my God! Be able to handle it. I I would love it. Also, also thoughts and prayers to our other king of content, yes. Jim Irsay. Um, suffered a severe is fighting a severe respiratory illness. He, he won't be able to play with his band in Los Angeles this weekend. Our thoughts to play Jim. with his band. Yes, oh. that was actually the tweet and statement oh. from the Indianapolis Colts organization today. Um, yeah, again, I'm here for the content. Uh, no, I think Harbaugh, for me, it's L.A., it's Vegas, although, um, you know, the, the place that he used to play, <laughs> not too far from Michigan. They want him. They do? hmm Okay. Not saying the organization the fans, does. The fans, fans, and the media fans in do. Chicago would like yes. Jim to come back. It's been my whole. You have Twitter. to fire your head coach before you. Yeah, hire which one. they're still. Last year they didn't fire anyone until like the Wednesday Thursday. I'm not last year. The year before Wednesday Thursday until after everything. So I think they're looking at that. Like be patient because people definitely want the offensive coordinator gone. Yeah. But that it's my whole Twitter has just been, especially after last night, was like it's time to bring him home, and I'm like. I, I was know. really I hoping he would have thrown a double bird on camera last night at some point just to be like, take that, NCAA. I'm off to the NFL. <laughs> but he was a little bit classier. Did you see yeah. the tweet? Also, this is a little off topic, but just about coaches, NFL and uh, college coaches. Today was actually 10 years since Vrabel came from Ohio State to the NFL, too. He gets fired on the 10-year anniversary of when he comes to the NFL. Oh, man. it It's such a fast-paced industry, right? Yeah. Like. You think about where the Jags were in 2017 and all the things that have changed since then. And then you look at right other people's careers and mm-hmm. they've gone from being an assistant coach to being a coordinator to being a head coach back to being a, an assistant coach. Like it just it happens so fast. And when now this is so in August will be 10 years since we started Helmets and Heels. This will be the, the 10th season. And so it's like. Man, yeah, I've been sitting here doing, I've been doing the same thing for yeah. this whole entire time, but all these other people have been here, <laughs> yeah. there, and everywhere. All right, we've got one segment to go here on Helmets and Heels, driven by Tyra Allen on Tension XL 92.5 FM. <laughs> Helmets and Heels on 1010XL, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans. Great job on the music tonight, JJ. Making me feel a little bit better about things as we move forward. Very disappointing end to the Jaguars season. I thought for sure we'd be sitting here tonight talking about how the Jaguars can beat the Browns here at Everbank Stadium. Probably a 4.30 kickoff time is what we'd be looking at. And in the end, we're talking about the Browns taking on the Texans in Houston. It's still very bitter of an ending to me. Mia, you were in the locker room. I know that everyone seemed still kind of shocked a little bit after the game. I'm guessing they're probably some of the players are still shocked now that their defensive coordinator was let go too. Um, yes, I would say the the 
number of changes, um, and we haven't spoken with players since the move last night to fire Mike Caldwell and the defensive staff, and then the move this morning to um, release Bernie Parmalee and assistant offensive line coach Todd Washington. So, like, we haven't talked to anybody, so I can't really speak to what they're feeling right sure. now. Um, but you know, I said this earlier on the day in the day on this on these airwaves, and I'll say it again. Um, for me, when I looked back at the press conference with Doug Peterson yesterday, the most telling quote was when he said, and I quote, it started today listening to players and the private conversations that I have with guys just to feel them and get a gauge. I think that it gives you pretty good insight. One of the things I feel is a strength of mine is gauging our players, and I felt the same way with some of the conversations I've already ha- I've had already. I think I know the whys, which are my whys. They're not going to be your whys. It's all correctable and fixable moving forward. Um, so he felt whatever those players said to him yesterday was resonating with what he already believed. Um, and then four hours later, after he said that, he fired Mike Caldwell and company. So do with that information what you will. Yeah, I'm interested in those in those situations because you hear every team do that, obviously. They say they take into what the players want. They get their kind of last say of yeah, how the they feel about certain yeah. And I wonder how much that factors into certain decisions because I, like I said, I don't think that one Tennessee game or what some players said, I think Doug already had in his mind what he knew he need, needed to happen. And this was step one of that. I'm obviously, I think a lot of people are hoping there's more steps to that. Um, and we will see soon. But I, I think that as you, there's not a point that you can look at, at this season and say that you were comfortable in either decision offensively or defensively how everything went as an entirety and he had to make that decision and I'm sure hearing some reassurance from players maybe made it a little easier for him to say okay yeah that is the right choice but I just think that it had to have been maybe when you where you guys pointed to after that Bengals game where Doug it really started turning of okay this isn't working. I wonder if Trevor had gotten hurt to the point in that Bengals game where he hadn't been able to play the rest of the season, mm-hmm. how differently we're talking mm-hmm. about all of it and, and what could have been. But look, other teams had a backup quarterback lead them to the playoffs. Yeah. So maybe maybe C.J. Beathard would have. I know there's certainly Jags fans that think that he would have done a better job than an injured Trevor Lawrence, mm-hmm. uh, would have made better decisions, would have run the offense better. I don't necessarily agree with that. But we also don't know on the outside, we don't know how – banged up Trevor really was especially I think at the shoulder we mm-hmm. could tell the mobility or lack of mobility with the knee with the ankle things like that but one and then he of course cleared concussion protocol but then you've got the shoulder finger a little bit too but I think mainly the shoulder we will never know mm-hmm. what percentage he was but obviously they felt comfortable enough that he wasn't going to re-injure it and that he could lead this team to a victory against the Titans he had usually played well against the Titans yeah it just was one of those games that nothing seemed to click. And that goes on Trevor, too, then, because if there was a point where he felt like he couldn't make certain throws or wasn't 100%, then he probably should have been a little more vocal about that because there were some passes where I felt it he didn't look like Trevor to me in that final game. And there was several moments where I was like, man, that's just not normal throws. And he would have maybe one or two a game, but this was several in a row where I was like that's over the head that's over the head that didn't look like where it was going it went where it was supposed to go and so whether that was injury whether that was he hadn't practiced because of the injury the last couple weeks whether that was because the line has been struggling and the timing was off of a lot of things I'm sure it all kind of factored in together but I would hope that if the injury was a factor that he would have said something knowing that it was affecting the game yeah and I'm sure he was honest with the training staff with the coaches 
And like I said, they felt like that was the best chance to win. And I just think hopefully moving forward, he can stay healthy. The offensive line protects him better. Mm -hmm. And so we're not having these types of conversations. All right. uh, My sports weekend included a game on Saturday, a men's basketball game between Florida and Kentucky, where Florida led for about 30 minutes. And then Kentucky waltzed waltzed out of the exact tech arena, O'Connell Center, with an 87-85 victory. It was a gut punch. I should have known that my whole sports weekend was going to be like that. Uh, But in the end, six-ranked Kentucky, by the way, currently beating Missouri 41-34. to Kentucky does what Kentucky does. They made their free throws, and they have guys that – are clutch in the end, and Florida's team cannot make its free throws to save their lives. Yeah, free throws, free, free throws <laughs> yeah, yeah. matter. Yes, free <laughs> throws matter. Hashtag it. Put it on a T-shirt. Um, I honestly, as I watched the Gators let that lead slip away in the final four minutes, stanza couldn't help but think, ah, well, this is because Gator Jaguar fans couldn't have both. They couldn't have a Jaguar win mm. and and a Gator oh, no. victory. No, Ugh. no. It wasn't. Yeah, there. As, it wasn't meant to be. As I was doing the Gator report on Monday, I felt sad for you because Thanks. I was reading all of the statistics, and it was same thing. Like thirty of the first thirty-eight minutes, they or they led it. It was oh yeah, some crazy. They led for that, thirty-eight minutes, but they also went then went on to a full like three paragraphs of how they need to figure out how to notch a quadrant. One yeah, win. Right. Yeah. And so that's like twofold. So like Florida's 0 for 4 in quad yeah, one wins. Right. They're 0 for 4 in quad one wins. And part of that is how Todd Golden has set up the schedule. And this is per some of the beat reporters that are in Gainesville every day talking to him. He believes because the net rankings are so crucial to NCAA tournament seeding that so long as your net ranking is okay, which may mean just scheduling a bunch of easy cupcakes at home, and you play a lot of neutral site games against quad one teams that if you win, it helps you. If you lose, it doesn't do a whole lot for you. You just kind of stay at neutral. That that is the best plan of attack as he continues to develop this roster. Um, I, personally, I mean, the problem is, is if he's going to be such a, you know, if he's going to build this team around the transfer portal, which in this day and age in college basketball, unless you're John Calipari and right. you're bringing in four McDonald's All-Americans a year, that is kind of going to be the way that you have to do it unless you're a mid-major who gets guys to stay for four or five years. And so – It's going to be very curious to see. I think he's a good coach. Uh, As far as the actual execution down the stretch of that game, Gator fans, like, look, the kid who hit the three, the the three on the top of the top of the arc. I mean, he's the backup center. He hadn't attempted a three point shot. I don't think all year. Like another stat that I in terms of right in in terms of defensive like prowess, like he's the guy that you want to force to take the shot because Mm. the odds aren't good he's going to make it. And the fact that he did, the fact that he had zero points in the first half and nine in the second half, like you tip your cap. Sometimes it just happens. The chips fall that way. Kentucky is obviously the more naturally athletic squad, just go up and down the roster. And it's no knock on Florida. It's just the nature of where college basketball recruiting is at. And in the end, they were able to muscle that to a victory. I think the one thing outside of the free throw shooting, as you look at Todd Golden's roster, the guy that he recruited and has developed is the now a backup. And so the and Riley Kugel. So that's the one I think area of concern is you're bringing in transfer portal guys that are already better than mm-hmm. Kugel. I, that's where and he's regressed a little bit from the end of last season. So that's where it's like, well, wait a minute. I, I understand that you're getting good talent from other schools and that's great. 
but you're you've got to be able to recruit guys and, and develop. develop those guys and yeah. those guys have to be your starters and the key guys in your rotation and like I said it's the second game that Kugel had to sit on the bench to start the game uh, and he did have some key turnovers and uh, Kentucky because Kentucky's a good basketball team takes Florida's 11 turnovers and turns turns those into 15 points and so it was just one of those games like I said you lead for that much you were up by what nine points at one point in time in the second half and then you lose the game and and it's something too we all know the state of Florida athletics yeah. football not in a great spot men's basketball a little bit better but people are still wary and so when you're not sure if you have the right coach a game like that goes a long way in determining Definitely. something like that and so now uh, next up Florida taking on Ole Miss 22nd ranked Ole Miss tomorrow night tip off 9 p.m. so I'm gonna have to yeah. drink some caffeine at like 8.30. Well, baseball starts in like a month. Baseball does <laughs> start <good>. soon. Base, <laughs> Florida baseball is always good. Uh, more importantly for me, Florida Ooh, gymnastics, gymnastics starts this Friday night. Thank you very much. Uh, and as you know, I will be locked into that. Mia, elsewhere around college basketball, Purdue number one? Yes, Purdue is number one in the Mo Bryan ballot as well as the AP Top 25. Number two, Houston. I still have them at number three. There's plenty of people that were a little upset with some of the officiating down the stretch in that Kansas TCU game on Saturday, which was awesome. Um, and I know we, our local the game was awesome. The game the was officiating awesome. not. Yes, the game was <laughs> awesome. Um, a little bit of a Hunter Dickinson, uh, perhaps the only challenger to Zach Eady for the mm-hmm. National Player of the Year. A little theatrics under the basket may or mm-hmm. may not have led to a possession that I'm not really sure Kansas deserved that they Ooh. were then able to cash in on and then go on to win the ball game. Um, but I mean, some people I guess feel like. TCU gave them a run for the money, so Kansas isn't as good of a team. I think they are. Um, So I kept them at two. But Houston, um, the next team in that pecking order, and uh, currently on the ropes against Iowa State, uh, there are 12 inches of uh, snow on the ground outside of Hilton Coliseum as we speak. And the Cyclones and their fans, who apparently, from my boots-on-the-ground sources, um, have been drinking and tailgating all day at their homes and then somehow marched their way in the snow to Hilton. <laughs> and so uh, a little Hilton magic is occurring. It's, it may be one for the ages if they hold on. 27-19 clones, who are 11-3, and three, so it's you know not, not a team that you have to overlook. But Houston, the only— I was only... trying to figure out how snow on the ground was affecting the basketball game, but I <laughs> No, it's, the fans are going nuts because they've been lathered up. Um, the Cougars are the only remaining unbeaten team in college basketball after Ole Miss fell over the weekend to, ten, to Tennessee. So, But Houston's not number one. No, they are not, because if you look at their strength of schedule, I mean, there's an argument to be made. Now that they play in the Big 12, I think that'll help them a bit. But for me, when they were playing in the American last year, it was just so hard to put them at number one. And I know I had plenty of Houston fans, like, coming for me on Twitter for it. But, like, here's what their non-conference looked like, Lauren. UL Monroe, Texas A&M Corpus Christi, Stetson, Towson, Utah, that's a good win. Dayton also proved to be a good win. Montana, Xavier, Rice, Jackson State, Texas A&M, good win, Texas State, UPenn. Yeah, like great competition. You know, it's not like they were to the point of the Florida Gators. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like they were going to these neutral sites and scheduling the Michigans, who I understand isn't that good, but like the Michigans, the Virginias of the world. They're not doing that, so – yeah, well, I can understand that. By the way, if you were watching the Kentucky game, they just showed a picture of Trey Mitchell's so dog. So cute. So cute. Named Aura, and it is a Portuguese water dog. I love dogs. All right, let's say hello to Rick Ballou. Now, the two-minute drill. Brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com careers. Equal opportunity employer. 
Rick, I'm going to guess I, that you were broadcasting last night when the news came down about Mike Caldwell. Was. And so you broke the news to Jacksonville. It was pretty emotional. It was. <laughs> was he your acoy, as Joe Cowart likes to say, your assistant coach of the year before the last six weeks? No, I don't know if I had one of those. Um, I wasn't entirely surprised. I, I know you guys asked me at Crosstalk. I, I thought one would go, if not maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the wrong guy went. Okay. You would If you were Doug Peterson, you would have fired Press Taylor and kept Caldwell? I would have fired them both. Okay. But, you know, the biggest concern I have for Mike Caldwell is how bad at tackling they were. And, and that was better, like, the first – you know, eight to ten games last year, they were a disaster. Remember, in in uh, in August, when we asked him, "What's the one thing you got to improve on most?" I think every Jaguar fan expected, "Oh, we need a better pass rush, better pass." And he goes, "No, we need to get better tackling." And they did get better tackling, but those like last four or five games, they missed like twelve plus tackles in every game. And you just go to that Tennessee game, bad angles by Devin Lloyd, mm-hmm. just not wrapping up, mm-hmm. and you know, it would have been a lot easier, I think, to just say goodbye to. The Trent bulky, and then you could kind of pick your spots coaches wise, but you had to do something. So I almost think there is a little a little bit of a scapegoat here. I'm not disappointed because people had to go, and frankly, I would have had more mm-hmm. from the staff go, but uh, this is where you are right now. Absolutely. Florida State with a healthy Jordan Travis, did they beat Michigan? Uh, no. Okay. No, no, no. That defense is, is just way too good. And, you know, Michigan – if they want to play a game like last night, and they played that game, certainly against Penn State, uh, if they want to play a, a rushing attack game, they had, what, 185 yards in the first half, and over mm-hmm. three, they can run and take clock. If if you need them to make big plays, they have the ability to do that as well. I think Florida State would have played with them. I don't think they would have gotten blown out, but do no, think, I, I can't go that far. Do you think Georgia would have beaten them? Yes. I was saying that last night, watching it with my GF. I'm like, Georgia beats both these teams handily, but they lost. Yeah. And, and that's the system that, that we have. Do what, that, that had to do get it, to get yep. there. Yeah. It's yep. the system that's I thought no Georgia is by far the best team in college football. You know, they got robbed on that call. They called the pass. That was clearly a draw up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's over now. And, and uh, I think for the most part, all the controversy go with it. You're not going to get as much with team 13 and 14 once no. you get to a 12-teamer. It's real hard to be the 13th or 14th best team in college football, and make a case and say you are the best. You can do that when you're five, six, or seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. What's coming up? We got all that. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Last night was crazy, so I I did say that uh, right after our first segment here, we're going to open up these phone lines and hear from Jaguar fans. I know they got a lot on their minds, so looking forward to uh, having a conversation with them and uh, trying to figure out a few things as we get one day closer to what I think is going to be the greatest offseason in Jaguars history. Ooh. The litany of decisions that this organization has to make mm-hmm. is unbelievable. I mean, it. I was looking today, offensive line for next year, they had Cam on it and Sheriff mm-hmm. on it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that's more than $50 million. Can you afford to do that with everything else that you got to do? So it's going to be a great offseason. Really looking forward to it. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. I'll be shocked if Sheriff is here next year. Yeah. Now, 29 Cam, million. Cam, I, I don't think so, but. They, they love him. We all know that. They, they love, love him. him. And my biggest problem, and I know you can't control this, but he gets injured every year. Yeah. And maybe you slide Anton Harrison to left tackle, then Walker Little's your right tackle. Do you keep 
Cam Robinson is a backup tackle, swing tackle? I don't think so. Not, not, at, the price not tag. at $22 million or a year. Exactly. You put Walker Little at left tackle if you re-sign Ezra Cleveland, and then right. he's your backup. Another guy who gets injured, yeah. Walker Little. Yeah. How about yeah. draft a guy and put him at that position? Instead uh, of getting a guy like Anton Harrison who had 23 starts, 22 at left tackle, and then just make him a right tackle. Why not? Right. <laughs> Why not draft the guy and play him in the where position he plays. that, that he, <laughs> Well, that's yeah, a good start. That was the whole Walker Little argument. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Walker yeah. Little. It, it, it's Caleb on Chase on, Trayvon Walker, Miles Jack. I mean, I, I remember when they were working Jalen Ramsey at free safety. Mm-hmm. I mean, feel free to draft the guy and put him at the position you know he's best at. But yeah, anyway, they're a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> So they think. Mike drop. All right. Into the Night with Rick Ballou comes up next. Thanks to everyone for tuning in on this Tuesday night. For Taylor Dahl, for Mia O'Brien, for JJ Osalva, I'm Lauren Brooks. Don't go anywhere. Keep it right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM.